over the years, I've had a lot of different things said to me about baptism and have heard a lot of different things about it. Uh, I've heard people say baptism is not really important. It's an optional thing. You know, do it if you want to, but if, if you're nervous about it or if you don't want to get up in front of people or whatever, you don't have to do it. It's, it's not important. Well, is that true or is it not? And, and how in the world do we know? Uh, I've heard other people. In fact, we had a man come here years ago who uh, began passing out leaflets saying that you were not saved if you were not baptized, that baptism actually completed your salvation. Well, is that true? And how do we know? So this morning, before we actually um, baptize these folks who have come forward for that, I want to take just a few minutes to cover the very basics of what baptism is about. Now, for, for most of you, this is going to be... Um, a repeat, maybe. You've, you've heard these things. You know these things. It's good, I believe, for us now and then to hear the fundamentals again so that we don't let them slip, as the Bible says. For some of you, you may have never been taught this. And so all I want to do is to point us to the Word of God this morning for just a few minutes before the baptisms and see what it says about baptism to explain clearly why we're here, why we're doing this. You know, not everybody understands what this is about. Years ago, uh, we, had a, we were having baptisms. We were using a different pool at the time. It was a large round one over there. And uh, a young man was here on a Saturday, um, wasn't part of our church, but came into... Okay, I'll just say it. I flooded the auditorium, uh, filling up the pool. And he was with the carpet cleaning company who came in with the vacuum trucks to vacuum out the auditorium. And so he, I noticed he, as he was vacuuming around, he kept looking at the pool. And when he was done, he said to me, what is that? And I thought, wow, in Greenville, South Carolina, the Bible Belt, here's a guy who has no idea what that is. I said, have you ever been to church? No. Had no idea. Now, if he were in here today, he'd be thinking this was awfully odd. So I'm going to take just a few minutes here and cover some basics, and I've, I've sort of narrowed it down to four simple but important questions. Number one, why do we baptize? Why do we baptize people? Well, first of all, two subpoints under this. We baptize because Jesus himself was baptized. Uh, he set the example for us to follow. We see this in Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan, that's John the Baptist, not the Apostle John, to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him. Have you ever caught this? John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Hmm. Then he allowed him, or John baptized him. Verse 16, When Jesus had been baptized, he came up immediately out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. There's so much we could say here, but just for time's sake, I'll, I'll say this. Jesus didn't need 
to be saved because he had no sin. And therefore, he didn't need to be baptized. He didn't need to demonstrate that he had been a sinner who had had his sins washed away. But he said, it's fitting for me to be baptized because doing so will fulfill all righteousness. One of the things Jesus was most focused on here on on this earth was carrying out the will of his father. And one of the steps in the will of his father for his life was to be baptized. Um, I don't think I would be wrong in saying this that we'll see in a minute. Romans 6 tells us that when we're baptized, we are identifying ourselves with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's almost in a sense that Jesus is saying, you know, if I'm asking sinners to identify with me, then I want to identify with them. And so he took the lead. He stepped out and he submitted himself to, to baptism. This baptism moment in his life was a, a very important moment. It marked the beginning of his ministry. Now think about that. He could have chosen anything to mark the beginning of his ministry. He could have gone up on a mountaintop with a megaphone and shouted to everybody, I'm here, my ministry starts today. He could have put up banners. He could have had bands playing. He chose baptism. Baptism was the beginning of his ministry. And in a sense, I think baptism should be the same for us. When we are saved and baptized, it should sort of mark for us the beginning of our earthly ministry as a new creation in Christ, living out uh, the new life that we have in him. And when Jesus began his ministry, he was lowered under the water, and then raised up out of the water, and that was depicting his death, burial, and resurrection that would come at the end of his ministry. Now, in 1 John 5, verse 6, it says this interesting little thing. John now, the apostle John, looking back many years after the crucifixion and resurrection, he said, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And so that's a strange sentence, but I believe John is making that connection between the Lord's baptism and his death. Throughout his ministry, Jesus said and did things to point his followers forward in their minds to his death on the cross that was coming. And then we read things like, he said this to signify the kind of death that he would die. So Jesus was baptized as a sign of how he would bring salvation to mankind through his death and burial and resurrection. And then we're told, as I said, that we identify with Christ's death and burial and resurrection when we're baptized. So first, the first sub-point there is we baptize because Jesus was baptized, but second, and I think much clearer is we baptize because Jesus told us to baptize people. I mean, it's really that simple. One of the last things Jesus told his followers before he ascended back to the right hand of the Father. I mean, think of all the things, again, all the things that could have been his last words to them. He said what was most important in that moment to them. And here's what he said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All power or authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them 
in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age or the end of the world. So he was giving us, as his followers, our marching orders. The, the main focus of this verse is the church's primary assignment on this earth. It's not to start programs, it's not to have carnivals, it's not to do any of that stuff. It's to make disciples. That's the, that's the focus point of this verse. So our assignment as followers of Christ is to make disciples. And the two things we're told to do with those disciples is baptize them and teach them. That's exactly what the early church did, and that's exactly what we want to continue doing here. So simply put, baptism is a step of obedience. It's really that simple. Um, I would encourage any person who has been saved but still not baptized, I would ask you why. You're, you're actually walking in disobedience of one of the first things that we're told to do when we're saved. It's an act of obedience. So that's why we baptize. Here's the next question. Number two, what does baptism mean? What does it mean? Well, the Greek word uh, that we find in the Bible is baptizo. It's used 77 times in the New Testament, and it means to immerse, to submerge, to overwhelm. It comes from the root word bapto or bapto, as it's pronounced by some. It means to cover wholly to dip. This was actually, baptizo was a common term used in that day and, and centuries before Jesus came, actually. Uh, it was a term used often in the cloth dyeing industry. When you dye a piece of fabric, if you want that fabric completely dyed in a certain color, you can't just dip it in the water a little bit. You can't just sprinkle dye on the fabric. You've got to immerse it. You've got to submerge it under the dye so that it can fully be affected by that. There was a, a medical doctor who, who lived from 250 BC to 170 BC, and uh, his name was Nicander, or some, depending on what side of the Mason-Dixon line you come from, some call him Nysander. And uh, so this doctor wrote all kinds of medical papers and books. He wrote about treating wounds, he wrote about pharmaceuticals, he wrote about poisons. One of the strangest papers that he wrote, though, was about making pickles. 200 BC, they were making pickles. And this doctor, I guess this was his hobby, but he wrote about making pickles, and in his document he used both of these words, baptizo and bapto. And he used it sort of outlining that the pickle has to be the vegetable has to be completely submersed into the vinegar in order for it to become a pickle. Now, we're not making pickles here this morning, but I think you get the point. Now, those same two Greek words are what the New Testament always uses when speaking of baptism. It always makes reference to there needing to be a whole lot of water, more than just a handful of water, to baptize someone. Here are just a few quick examples. Matthew 3.16. We read this a moment ago, but catch this part. When Jesus had been baptized, he came up out of the water. John 3.23. 
Now John was also baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. In Acts 8, we remember the story Philip was riding with the man from Ethiopia in a chariot. Philip was explaining the gospel to him, and he was saved. And then we read this in Acts 8, 38. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And he baptized him, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, and so on. So the pattern that we see throughout the New Testament is people going into water to be baptized. Now here's the thing. I don't really have a dog in this hunt. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to push immersion over sprinkling except for the fact that that's exactly what the Bible does. If Jesus had said sprinkle people, we'd sprinkle people here. Frankly, it'd be a whole lot easier. This, getting this here, thanks, by the way, to those who, who made all that possible, is a lot of work. So I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad if you grew up in a church where they sprinkled babies and all that. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. All I'm, all I'm doing is, is telling you what God's Word says. I really, I mean this in the best way, I could care less either way. Except that when the Bible talks about baptism, it's talking about baptizo. It's saying submerse them in water. Don't sprinkle. Sprinkling adults is not what the Bible says to do, ever. And sprinkling infants is certainly not what the Bible says to do, ever. Well, our next question uh, will answer why infants should not be baptized. Number three, who's baptism for? Simply put, the simplest I can put this is, <coughs> baptism is for those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. The biblical sequence, it's important to know this, biblical sequence is always be saved first and then be baptized. Again, I'm not trying to push any agenda on anybody. All I can do is look to the Word of God and what it clearly says. Here are just a few quick examples. It says, when they believed Philip and he, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So it's believed and then baptized. Acts 16, 30. And the jailer brought them, that's Paul and Silas, out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they replied, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house, and immediately he and his family were baptized. Believe and be baptized. One more, Acts 18.8. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. We could go on and on. But the, the sequence is always believe first, then get baptized. Why am I belaboring that point? Because there are some groups who teach. Now, there are some groups who sprinkle babies just sort of as a dedication thing, but that's, uh, that's rare. Most, when they do that, are sprinkling babies to bring them into the covenant. Some even say that when babies are sprinkled, they are saved in that moment. But folks, can I just tell you, that's not in the Bible anywhere. It's a man-made thing. And boy, we better be very careful, very careful 
adding to God's word and cooking up our own deals along the way. Can I just say the closest a baby ever came to water in the Bible is when baby Moses was put in a basket lined with pitch and placed in the river. That's it. So we don't baptize babies here. We don't sprinkle babies here. Why? Because Phil Pike said don't do it? No. God's word doesn't say to do it. Now we do dedicate children here. We dedicate babies here. Why? Because God's word says to do that. Jesus himself, we saw this back in our Christmas messages uh, recently, Jesus himself was brought to the temple as a baby to be dedicated, to be presented to the Lord. But we don't baptize babies here because simply an infant can't first believe in order to be baptized. Finally, what does baptism do? Number four, what does baptism do? Hey, uh, Joe Chimu, can I get you to bring me that chair from the back quickly, please? Thank you so much. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Pardon me as I sit down. Um, what does baptism do? Can I boil it down this way? Baptism doesn't save you. It identifies you. That's important to keep in mind. Baptism was never intended to save. It doesn't save you. It identifies you. If a person gets baptized, and again, I say this with all the kindness in my heart, I'm just reaching out, trying to share God's truth. If a person gets baptized who has never been saved, that person doesn't come up out of the water saved. This is just good old, clean Greenville County water. That's all it is. There's nothing magical. There's nothing spiritual. There's nothing special about it. It's not the water that does anything. If I walk into a costume store and buy... Uh, say, a pilot's uniform with the cap and the satchel and the stripes, and I wear that and I walk around town, does that make me a pilot? Of course not. That's, that's ridiculous. No, it doesn't make me a pilot at all. You have to go through years of intense training in order to become a commercial airline pilot. The uniform doesn't make you a pilot any more than the outward symbol of baptism makes you a Christian. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian because it's just an outward symbol to show that you've already become a Christian. Now, I'll say this with a bit of sternness and caution, because we never need to, we never need to tiptoe into this stuff. The teaching that baptism adds to and completes your salvation is nothing short of horrendous. It's an abomination. It's not a small drifting away from the gospel. It is an abomination. Because what they're actually saying is the death that Jesus died on the cross wasn't enough to bring me salvation. And so I'm going to add this extra step in order to complete the job that he didn't finish on the cross. Wow. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. That word is tetelestai. 
It was a common word used back then by merchants. On the bottom of the receipts, they would write tetelestai. It means paid in full. Paid in full. And when Jesus spoke those words from the cross, he was saying, my substitutionary death for you on this cross has covered everything. Your sin is paid in full. There is literally nothing you can do. Not just any works, but the Bible says not even works of righteousness can bring us salvation. It is by faith alone in Jesus Christ that we find salvation. That's it. So be very, very careful. Students, I'll say to you, when you grow up and you leave home and you move away and you find another church, be very alert to these things. Don't get sucked into teaching that says, oh yes, no, Jesus bought our salvation, but we have to complete it by getting in the water and being baptized. Can you name one physical act that can bring about spiritual transformation? Just one. I'll wait. I can't think of one. I can't think of one physical act that you and I can do, not even climbing into a tank of water, that can bring about spiritual transformation. It's an impossibility. The flesh cannot accomplish anything in the spirit. And so it's important to, uh, to keep that in mind. It really is this simple and this significant. By, by going down into the water and being raised up again out of the water, we're associating ourselves with the death of Christ and his resurrection. That's what we're doing. It's a, it's a simple but beautiful picture of how when you were saved, you died to your old self. Your sins were buried under the blood of Christ and you were raised up as a brand new creation. And that's what these people are demonstrating here today. Baptism is a public declaration of what has already happened privately in your heart when you trusted Christ to save you. It's a way to tell the world that you've become a follower of Christ. Now, that, that term that I just used there, and that's, that statement that I just made, really doesn't carry much weight with us today. We throw that, or we sort of banty that around quite easily. Oh, so-and-so is a follower of Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. You know why? Because we've never had to suffer for being a Christian in this country. Not yet. Not yet, but it's coming. But during Jesus' time, becoming a follower of Christ definitely meant that you were going to be ostracized by many people. It meant that you'd likely lose your job and many of your friends. It certainly meant that you would be disowned by your family if you were Jewish. And it might even mean you would be put to death. And by the way, that's still true in many countries today. Let's never forget that as we enjoy this freedom here. You see, the Jews back then, if one of their family members became a follower of Christ, listen, I don't have time to get into all this. I've shared some of this with you in the past, but not all of it. They would have a mock funeral for that person. They considered them dead. They would have a funeral, and they would even throw stones at the casket during the funeral 
is an act of shame and disgrace. They cut that person off. They never spoke to him or her again. That's a little bit of what it meant to be and to say publicly, I'm a follower of Christ in those days. So think about how tempting it would have been for those people to quietly, privately trust in God, in, in Christ in their hearts, and then just say, well, I'm not ever going to let anybody know. And maybe they could say, you know, Jesus, I know you understand, right? Because um, trusting you could cost me everything. Going public could, could cost me everything, so I'm just going to keep my faith private. Yeah, here's, here's the problem with that. Jesus actually doesn't accept that. One example, Mark 8, 38, Jesus said, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus makes it clear, I will not accept any secret agent followers. In fact, I want you to go public with your faith in me. I'm asking you to be baptized to identify yourself publicly as my follower. Now, let's remember, baptisms in that day, they didn't have like this stuff yet. Baptisms were done in public places. So being baptized was literally going public as a Christian and saying, I want everybody to know that I have put my faith in this Savior right here, and I am his follower, and I'm not ashamed to tell the whole world. Listen, baptism for them really was laying it all on the line. You understand the importance now of baptism? For these people, they really set the standard for us. Unfortunately, we've, we've missed it so much. They could have said, oh, I'm, I'm saved, and I'll just keep it at that. But the true believers stood up, went public, and said, everybody take a look. I'm a follower of Christ, and I am not ashamed. So what does baptism do? Simply, again, it doesn't save you. It identifies you. There was a little boy once who uh, overheard his family talking for uh, weeks about how his big brother was going to be baptized. And there was all kinds of excitement swirling around this, but the, the boy was too young to understand what any of this meant, but he just knew this was something exciting. And so the, the next Sunday, he went up to his pastor at church, and he said, Pastor, when can I be advertised? <laughs> uh, he meant baptized, but, you know, in a sense, he had it right. Uh, baptism is, in a way, advertising to the world that you've trusted in Christ to save you. And these people here today have chosen to take that step to be publicly baptized, declaring their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and their decision to follow him. And I'm so honored to be here today and to see these folks be baptized. Uh, all of you, I'm proud of you for taking this step. I'm very excited um, as one of your elders to see what God does in your life. We have some children being baptized today who've come up through the children's ministry here at LifePoint. They've been saved. We've watched them grow in Christ, and it's, it's always exciting to see them being baptized. This is a, a very special moment that we're about to participate in. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. 
If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. of my heart I want to see